0: This is Healthcare Care Matters on WTIC, News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Healthcare Care Matters is a program that delves into healthcare care policy and issues. The hosts are not medical clinicians, and they're not able to offer advice about medical conditions or diseases. You're always encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Healthcare Care Matters, sponsored by Hartford Health and hosted by Rebecca Stewart and Elliot Joseph.
1: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Healthcare Matters on WTIC News Talk 1080. This is Elliot Joseph. Good to be back together again. Today, we are talking about the future of medicine. Not the far-off future, rather the almost touchable future. We are talking this morning about the use of big data in healthcare. And today, when we talk about personalized medicine, typically we're referring to the fact that I was treated nicely by the doctor and her staff. However, with the widespread availability of electronic medical records, medical health records, and more available genomic information... We're now approaching a world where medical treatments informed by analytics will be targeted for specific individual. Patients. We're going to have a very interesting conversation this morning. Rebecca?
2: Absolutely. And what's so exciting about this is looking at what we don't do very well right now, which is analyze that information. How much more personalized, as Elliot's saying, could your care be if healthcare did a better job at looking at all of that information, even warning you about what's to come? Well, you can imagine this is a little controversial. We have talked a lot about on this show, as Elliot mentioned, about sort of personalized medicine when it comes to. DNA, specific information found in you, even in your tumors, targeting that treatment. But today, as he's discussing, we're talking about that personalized precision medicine in a whole new level. And we have remarkable, world-renowned leaders in analytics with us this morning.
1: We really do. We have a great panel of guests this morning. Uh, First, uh, Demetrius Bertsemus, who is the Boeing Leaders for Global Operations Professor of Management. He is a professor of operations research and the co-director of the Operations Research Center at MIT. Demetrius launched an online program called the Analytics Edge. When he did it, he expected a few dozen people to register, and ultimately they had more than 10,000 people register for the program. He is a firm believer that data analytics is the future, like it or not. We also have with us this morning Dr. Barry Stein, who is an interventional radiologist by trade. He is fresh out of the executive MBA program at MIT, where he happened to be one of Demetria's students. We think he was, we hope he was one of the better students in the <laughs> no class. Kidding, we'll we'll find out about that later. Uh, Barry led the creation of Image Connect, Hartford Healthcare's medical image platform, one of the only medical imaging platforms in the country to connect with patients' health records. He has just been named Hartford HealthCare's Chief Clinical Innovation Officer. Additionally in the studio this morning, we have with us Dr. Peter Yu. Dr. Yu is the Physician-in-Chief of Hartford HealthCare's Cancer Institute. Dr. Yu is an internationally respected cancer expert. Dr. Yu recently served as the President of the prestigious American Society of Clinical Oncologists for the entire country. The Hartford Healthcare Cancer Institute is also a charter member of the Memorial Sloan-Kettering Cancer Alliance under Dr. Yu's leadership. Good morning and welcome, everyone.
2: Good morning. Thanks so much. We want to get right to this topic and really explain to our listeners this morning. So let's start with Demetrius. What is this? What are we talking about when it comes to all of this data? How do you break it down to folks who don't understand what you're saying?
3: First of all, good morning to everybody. Um, Let me give you an example to demonstrate. Uh, Imagine you have uh, electronic records for patients that have diabetes over multiple years. And um, you observe that one person uh, took uh, metformin, another person took insulin, a third person took another treatment. By observing all this data historically over multiple years uh, and using machine learning, ideas. You can find out what is the best treatment for every person that is appropriate for that person and that person only. Uh, This will give you uh, what we have found, uh, that uh, such an idea gives you improved uh, outcomes, lower glucose levels over time. I think uh, this is just one example, but the same idea can be used in multiple other diseases
1: what kind of information specifically demetrius would be used to make that kind of distinction and and where do you and how do you mine that data um, to be able to make those kinds of decisions
3: Uh, hospitals keep track of all of the electronic medical records for example the prior glucose measurements the prior blood pressure measurements um, the obesity of a person Uh, historical infections, the the history of of your treatments and your interactions with the hospital. So looking at this data, you can make predictions about if you take a particular treatment, what would be the effect. Uh, Utilizing this data and answering the question, what would have happened if you took another treatment leads to such outcomes.
2: Fascinating. I actually want to get to Dr. Barry Stein. So Barry... You have been in practice for several years. Suddenly you're taking this MBA class. You're at MIT. You're a student. When did you think this is what we need to bring to healthcare? Take us through that journey.
4: Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, when I was a student in Demetrius' advanced analytics class, it struck me um, how powerful um, Demetrius' uh, work and others' work Uh, to determine um, the predictive as well as uh, prescriptive uh, outcomes for a patient. Um, It also dawned on me that doing analytics at a university was great, but the opportunity was there for um, Hartford HealthCare or Big HealthCare System, working together with uh, Demetrius and his team, to validate the power of analytics in a real clinical setting. And at that time, decided to approach uh, Demetrius and discuss the the potential of a a collaboration uh, to uh, accelerate the work of his analytics team and others in healthcare. So Dr. Yu, as the
1: head of Hartford Healthcare's Cancer Institute, how do you see this? Where do you see even currently, or where do you see it coming, leading to the, the application of this kind of capability in the care of cancer patients?
5: Well, um, you know, Elliot, uh, there are th- you know. Let's get to the question of what is big data, and often we define it as the, the volume big, of course, in size. But there are two other attributes that are important. Uh, One is the uh, uh, velocity that data is being accumulated. We're accumulating data so quickly. And the third is the variety of data. It's coming from many sources. Uh, Traditionally, we've thought of uh, medical data as what's in the hospital, the doctor's record, I think increasingly so we're looking at patient-derived data. That is, what is actually happening to the patient at home? How are they feeling when they're not in the hospital? How are they feeling when they're not in our office? Uh, What's really happening with them? And with the explosion in what's now called the Internet of Things and personal devices, um, this is where I think we will make uh, uh, great advances in having this new kind of data that will tell us what the patient is actually feeling um, 24 hours a day and allow us to, to react to that and be much more proactive.
2: I want to break this down for our listeners. So as Dr. Yu, Peter Yu's talking about the Internet of Things, that's really looking at all of the things right now that contribute to this. So all of us now have smartphones, different devices that are all creating. We all know that when you're using your phone and you're going into a concert and you're texting a friend, guess what? All your information is being captured. When you are texting your parents, when you're out and about, and your ways directional system, pops up an ad targeted to you all of that is connected and contributing to what you're calling this internet of things just want to break it down for our listeners and how does healthcare tap into that in a way that's beneficial and not so scary
1: how is it impacting your day-to-day practice today is there an application that's current and real or is it still on the horizon
5: it's still on the horizon, but I think it's on the near horizon, not the far horizon. You know, As you know, Elliot, uh, Hartford HealthCare has uh, really cutting-edge technology that Barry Stein is uh, leading. He can speak more to it, but uh, it's really uh, how do we get the data from patients outside the hospital setting Work in the in the in nursing homes or at uh, in the patient's home, um, using telemedicine to bring that data in. And and Barry has got applications already uh, in uh, cardiac errors and, and neurology that uh, that are very important that we want to learn from in the oncology space. There are already a couple publications uh, that have been widely accepted showing that cancer patients do better during and after chemotherapy if we can plug in this data from the patients uh, from their devices. Um, and we will in the next twelve months be be uh, exploring that. Actively here, yeah.
1: D- Demetrius, uh, as the co-director of the Operations Research Center at MIT, in this program that you put out there, where you expected just a few dozen people to respond to being educated and more involved in all of this work? And you had over ten thousand people. What do you ascribe that to? What 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 what's happening?
3: Um, yes, when we launched uh, the class, the analytics, cl- the analytics edge, it was uh, a massively online class. Of course, I did not expect uh, we will have uh, so many people. in fact, uh, 100,000 people registered, only 10,000 finished the class. Yeah. So the, um, the, the numbers were, were, were unusually unusually high. The reason for this excitement, I, in my opinion, is that the availability of data in healthcare we mentioned, but in many other areas, from retail to transportation to financial services and so forth, um, generated opportunities that were not available before to analyze and improve all these systems. So as a result, uh, it attracted people with uh, varied degrees of background, various ages, and so forth. Uh, and I think this this is going to continue. Uh, as another example, um, the the residential classes we have at MIT in machine learning and analytics mm-hmm. attract 600, 700 people, which is uh, Numbers that we have not seen in the past.
2: I want to talk a little about solutions and some of the proof points, because what's fascinating to me when I read, there was a wonderful article, and if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to grab, uh, head online and do some research for the bus system outside of Boston. So there was a fascinating competition, where a bus a bus system said somebody let's put out a contest help us out here we know we're not doing it right we don't know how to fix this bus system somebody can you help us save money and have a more efficient system so Demetrius take us through what your class did
3: with that bus system Um, It was a competition. um, So this is related to the Boston Public Schools. So the Boston Public Schools is responsible for serving, uh, giving transportation to about 30,000 people, the vast majority of whom are in Boston. Uh, They are elementary and high school students, middle school as well. And um, they have been uh, trying to find ways to decrease their cost and also improving outcomes for the students. So they set out a competition in April of uh, this year and myself and two of my students, um, Arthur and Sebastian, participated and um, we won that competition. And to our surprise, um, we have found out that they decided to adopt our system this summer. This was not part of the of the initial discussion. So in fact coming come September this year, a few months ago, the 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 Boston Public Schools is using our method. And tell to route.
2: us, tell us what what you actually did with yeah. those
3: students. So what happened was that we we found two two things. First, we improved the routing. So and um, namely, we have decreased the number of buses from about 650 to about uh, 600 by about 50 this year. Being more conservative, there is more room for improvement. This uh, saved the the city about five million dollars. And um, also decreased uh, emissions by quite substantially. Quite substantially. The s- second aspect is uh, we have also developed a method for selecting uh, bell times when the, then the when the students go to school. That had also that that the Boston School Committee is is about to vote in Decemb- on December sixth whether it will adopt it for the city. Hmm. Exciting developments, which shows that the power of data and analytics. Uh, that can affect the real-world environment, in this case, Boston Public Schools.
1: Dr. Stein, do you see how this example in the Boston bus system can apply to healthcare?
4: Um, In it, yes. You know, I look at uh, the responsibility of all of us in healthcare to drive value, which is to improve our patient experience, to improve access, to improve quality and safety, and decrease cost. And I think the example that Demetrius is discussing in terms of the BOSS system can be applied uh, extraordinarily well in healthcare in multiple, multiple domains. Uh, And we're excited uh, to have this collaboration to start their journey to indeed uh, drive value in healthcare using the power of analytics.
2: And Dr. Yu, can you come in with some specifics? Because some of the things that we're working on that's fascinating to me is, let's look at this group of folks. Um, they're going through such tough times. We know emotionally they're in a tricky place. They're going through chemotherapy. If we can use their background and all that data to keep them from being readmitted, how do we do that? How does the data help us deliver more personalized care? How do we prevent readmissions? Do you see that happening in the near future?
5: I, I, I absolutely do. You know, we um, uh, think about our, our patients uh, a lot uh, in this regard because uh, they're going through uh, a very uh, serious life-threatening illness. And um, we're, at least in the short term, we're often adding to their problems with our, our treatments, which have uh, side effects uh, and add to the <clears throat> physical uh, problems that they're facing. Um, to a large degree, we know what those problems are. We just don't know when And Who's going to get it and how bad it's going to be but we certainly know what the side effects are Um, But trying to know on that personal individual level when this person is going to have any given problem uh, And when that's going to happen so we can intervene and support them and prevent a small problem from becoming a big problem uh, Is really a a tremendously rich area for us to to improve the lives of our patients
1: Do you see this so? I'm gonna speak very personally for a moment. Some folks know I'm a a cancer survivor. I I had leukemia and I was benefited by the fact that there was a regimen discovered uh, a handful of years prior to my diagnosis uh, that basically saved my life, but it was a rocky journey, to say the least, in terms of the kinds of symptoms and um, reactions I had uh, to the treatment. And I do remember, in fact, uh, my physician saying to me, "This treatment—you're uh, you're probably going to survive, but this this treatment, you know, it's not going to be much fun at all." Um, if you dive deeper into this, Peter, um, how would a patient like me benefit from? what we're about to learn through all this data. I don't know if you can see through that crystal ball or not.
5: You know, uh, so when we look at a patient, you know, we, we know about their disease in in um, case of leukemia. We know a lot about what happens in that disease. We know about what treatment we're going to use. We know what side effects probably will happen when we will give it. Um, but uh, what we worry the most about is how the patient is doing. And, you know, if we ideally we would be there every minute with the patient and, and be there every time measuring their temperature or their pain or how tired they are, how they were sleeping, how they were eating. Um, but uh, uh, without that kind of information we don't know how to react and support the patient. We don't know how to adjust the treatments uh, and to follow through. So, uh, so really providing that kind of care that we need to for a patient who's going through such a serious illness, uh, we need to have that data and we need to have that information. And then we have to build the systems to react to it. So just having the data gives us the analysis, um, but then we have to think through how do we change our healthcare system? How do we change how doctors, nurses, pharmacists, um, front desk people react to the patient so that we can really do something different than what we're doing right now because the results that we're doing right, we're getting right now are, are not what we want them to be. Right.
2: Fascinating. Right. Dimitris, your thoughts on this? Um,
3: oh, in, in the last couple of years, I have uh, spent some time in thinking about oncology. I actually lost my father to, to, to stomach cancer, so the disease is quite personal to me. Uh, and um, what I believe is that uh, cancer in particular is not one disease. It is uh, the disease of one person and the disease of another person is very distinct. And it has to do with uh, uh, situations in the DNA. So different, different uh Different people have different characteristics, and I believe the the personalization is understanding that and developing target therapies for individual uh, for individual people that are differentiated not only by their uh, electronic medical records, but the specific aspects on their DNA that we actually currently the technology. Is improving to understand that in great detail. So I would not be surprised that if, if in the future, already is reality in certain cancers. Um, uh, for example, um, uh, disease of the skin, melanoma, We're is seeing. is a, is an example where um, we have targeted therapies that are far more effective on specific. Uh, specific uh, strains yeah specific strains versus others uh, and i believe this could be expa- expanded to a variety of disease and the key here is the use of data and analytics because this is not how humans work humans the, the amount of dna data that exists is enormous and uh, the only way we can process this make sense and analyze them in a usable way is to utilize computer models i believe human uh, humans this is not our major strength.
1: You know, it's interesting. I, on a personal level, again, just, I mean, as a parent of five children, and and talking to other parents, you know, one of the things we all share in common is how different the kids are, right? They're, I mean, they're just all—even twins. I mean, they're all so different. And yet, in medicine, we have not yet gotten to the place where it recognizes that individuality that that both is chemical, physical, emotional. Uh, and this is a very exciting development. I mean, it's it's still a little ways out there, but it's it's coming.
2: And on that point, what I'm fascinated is, as Demetrius, you're talking about treating everybody in, in a very different way and using all this information. I'm curious if you see, and talking to our two physicians in the audience, if you see pushback, if there is, um, Demetrius earlier said something very interesting to me, that we aren't trying to replace physicians. We're trying to advise physicians. And I'm curious what you're Take is on that? Do you see pushback where folks think this is my art, let me be? Or are you seeing people hungry for more of this information? Curious.
3: Uh, well, um, there's a reason why I'm, uh, I'm together with my friends here in Hartford uh, Healthcare. Clearly, they, um, I mean, in the end of the day, I believe in science. Uh, one has to deliver and demonstrate beyond any doubt, especially if you're talking about lives of people, that these methods uh, make a difference. And appropriate outcomes for patients, and I would be the first to say that if the if the analysis and the results are not there, we should definitely not use it. Um, I, I do believe that there is an increasing. Um, Uh, understanding in among physicians that these these ideas are uh, potentially exciting and interesting I would say the future will tell whether the degree to which we are going to use them but I see evidence around the country I I gave you the example of melanoma Uh, blood cancers is another example leukemia in particular, where ideas, where analysis has led to life-saving treatments, I I believe we have a a longer road, but the the road is not uh, in many many years. Dr. Stein.
4: Yeah, I think it's a fascinating question and uh, I think about it uh, with this analogy a pilot who's usually used to and comfortable flying an airplane just with visual flight rules, meaning being able to see everything and trusting their environment, and then switching to an environment that is just instruments. And they have to learn how to trust that data, um, where that data comes from, and how to use that data safely. And I believe that's the journey that physicians are have have to go through to start to understand where this data is coming from, how the data works, and how it can help them. And that's going to start... Um, in medical schools, and it also requires healthcare systems that are receptive, that have the culture for physicians to adopt new technologies and new thought processes, and then to integrate them very carefully in a very disciplined way into the normal workflow of a physician. It cannot be a different workflow. It has to really be part of the workflow of a day-to-day work environment.
2: Mm. Dr. Yu, your thoughts?
5: Well, you know, I think there are physicians who are worried about uh, that they may lose their livelihood if uh, they're replaced by robots or, or data <laughs> analytics. I, I obviously don't uh, think that way. You know, it, it's um, the human mind can hold about five different um, factors when it's making a decision. Um, they are just too many. We need the data analytics to boil it down and show us, the physicians, what are the five most important things to think about um, so we can interpret that uh, for our patients and in partnership with our patients.
2: And that is where we're looking. What a fascinating conversation we are having today, talking about big data and how it interacts with you, our patients, and how our physicians can now and well into the future use this data to better serve you. You are listening to Healthcare Matters.
6: Temperatures dropping through the 50s into the 40s and down to around 40 by evening. And meteorologist Steve Shaprone will have the full forecast coming up. A 34-year-old Rocky Hill man is due in New Britain Superior Court tomorrow. Divya Patel was arrested last night after his one-month-old child was pronounced dead at Connecticut Children's Medical Center. The child's mother called 911 from the residence inn on Cromwell Avenue in Rocky Hill shortly before 6.30. She said she was with the child's father. He fled before police arrived but returned some 30 minutes later with the unresponsive child in his vehicle. The child was pronounced dead at uh, CCMC, Patel is charged with risk of injury to a child and tampering with or fabricating physical evidence. Bond was set at a million dollars and additional charges are pending. State police responding to a report of shots fired in the Crystal Lake area of Ellington shortly after 1030 last night arrested a local man who they saw come out of the woods with a long gun. 22-year-old Alexander Saja was ordered to drop the weapon and hit the ground. Once in handcuffs, troopers found him to be in possession of two handguns as well, along with additional ammunition. Police say Seja was walking home from a friend's house and had been drinking alcohol. He fired shots at a speed limit sign and uh, from the side of the road as well, according to police. Seja is charged with illegal uh, carry of a firearm under the influence of drugs and or alcohol, criminal mischief and reckless endangerment. He was released on $10,000 bond. He's due in Rockville Superior Court November 27th. Just days after Lieutenant Governor Nancy Wyman announced that she would not be running for governor next year, Hartford Mayor Luke Bronin said he is considering a run. Bronin says it's not something he planned to do right now, but has heard from a number of people over the past few weeks urging him to consider a run. Bronin formerly worked in the Malloy administration. Governor Malloy uh, announced earlier this year that he would not be seeking a third term. The Alabama special election for Senate less than a month away and recent polls have Democrat uh, Doug Jones up by more than a slight edge. The outcome of the polls could be in part because of the sexual misconduct allegations hovering over the Republican candidate Roy Moore. CBS News political analyst Leonard Steinhorn.
0: We don't know if these polls are absolutely reliable in this case, but I wouldn't bet against Roy Moore, though I wouldn't bet for him because the whole notion of a state... Voting for somebody who has allegedly conducted predatory behavior against teenage girls, I'm just not so sure that sits well even in a deeply conservative red state of Alabama.
6: They are guidelines that have been the norm for some 40 years, but now the threshold for stage 1 hypertension has been lowered, defining 30 million more Americans as having high blood pressure. Dr. William White, a hypertension expert at UConn Health, says the new reading that triggers the stage 1 label is 130 over 80 compared to the old 140 over 90. The guidelines also include stepped-up monitoring. The committee strongly recommended that for at least for the initial diagnosis and perhaps in management, we do a lot more of that out of office doctors uh, out of off, doctor's office monitoring. Dr. William White of Yukon Health was a guest on this morning's Face Connecticut program. As Thanksgiving nears, so do the threats and uh, re- uh, the treats rather and rich foods we love during the holidays. Problem is research finds type two diabetes is not only increasing in adults, but in children as well. A first-of-its-kind study looked at diabetes in young people over a 10-year...
2: And we are back.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome back. This is Healthcare Matters. I am Elliot Joseph, and today we're talking about big data. And the term big data is generating a lot of hype in every single industry, including healthcare. We're having a fascinating conversation some with, with some real experts here. Uh, our guests are uh, Demetrius Bertzimis, who is Boeing Leader for Global Operations, Professor of Management, and Professor of Operations Research at MIT. Uh, He is an internationally respected teacher, author, and leader in data analytics and artificial intelligence. Dr. Barry Stein is with us as an interventional radiologist by trade. Uh, but he is reinventing himself in some way and has just come out of uh, the MBA program at MIT uh, where he was uh, one of Demetrius' students. And he's led a very important project for Hartford HealthCare called Image Connect where we are taking medical image platforms uh, and putting them together. And it's, o- it's one of the only medical imaging platforms in the country to connect directly with patient health records. We also have Dr. Peter Yu with us who is the Physician-in-Chief at the Hartford HealthCare Cancer Institute, and he is an internationally respected cancer expert uh, with more than 30 years of experience and leadership. Uh, In a few minutes, we'll be joined by Dr. Mark Alberts, uh, who is gonna call in and join us for the second half hour. Uh, Mark is the Physician-in-Chief of the IR Neuroscience Institute at Hartford HealthCare, and he is pioneering new ways to treat neurological issues and partnering with Demetrius and his team at MIT.
2: So we wanted to recap a little and talk about all of the amazing things that we have been discussing over this half hour, listening to really, truly, what is the future? Not, as Elliot mentioned, the far future, but something that is right here. We are fortunate to have Dr. Mark Alberts. I just want to double-check that you are on the line. Mark?
7: I am indeed. Good morning.
2: Good morning. Thanks so much for calling in. So as we've been having this discussion, and we know that you are looking at how this can help your practice and help move forward Healthcare medicine, specifically in the neurosciences. What are your thoughts on all of this?
7: Well, thanks so much for having me. And um, as you know, we deal in the neurosciences with some of the most common and devastating diseases. And um, some of these include things like stroke, Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, migraine headaches, and the like. And we know that there are many risk factors for these various diseases. For example, when we're talking about stroke, some common risk factors include high blood pressure, diabetes, smoking, high cholesterol. Yet a lot of people have these risk factors but not all of them go on to have a stroke. A lot of people have risk factors for brain tumors, for example, or Parkinson's disease or Alzheimer's disease, but not all of them go on to have these diseases. So partnering with Dimitris and his colleagues at MIT as well as my colleagues at Hartford Healthcare We hope to delve into this, uh, what we call precision medicine, to help better define and sort out what really predicts or what factors are important for some people getting a disease and other people not getting a disease although many of them have the same risk factor profile. It is fascinating.
2: You had mentioned um, some of the risk for stroke that you were looking at. I think you call it the Framingham study, sort of who in this huge mass of people would be most likely to have stroke. What are the specific factors you're looking for?
7: Well, things that we found from the Framingham study and that have been confirmed by many other studies have shown that getting older is a major risk factor for stroke, but we can't quite figure out how to reverse that at this point, (laughs) although that would be nice. But the most treatable, modifiable risk factor for stroke is high blood pressure or hypertension. And there are new guidelines about defining that and treating that. And in the United States, there's 50 to 100 million people with high blood pressure, but many of them do not go on to have a stroke. What makes the difference? That really is at the core of this precision medicine. to trying to sort out these very vexing but important questions.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. As I was preparing for today's show, I was thinking about this analogy. If you go to the store and buy a pair of socks, um, you know, it's one size fits everybody. And uh, healthcare has more or less uh, not taken advantage of all this information that's out there and um, has been more or less a one-size-fits-everybody, and then the clinicians react to mm-hmm. what happens to the patient as they're applying whatever the most um, you know, current standard of care is.
2: Right, and as, as Mark's talking about high blood pressure, that you start out with one medication, and guess what? Well, that doesn't work quite as well as we'd like it to. Let's switch it to the second one. Well, that's not exactly right. Let's go to the third one. Oh, it's like Goldilocks, and this is the perfect one. Right. Just right. How do we do that first? is really what this discussion is about.
1: And the question okay. of unifying all this data, you know, we're living through an age now where this is coming from everywhere. It's coming through the electronic health record as we talked about earlier. Um, there's new genomics information being made available. Uh, there is a tremendous amount of demographic and social information available about individual people. And the challenge of unifying and harmonizing all this data into one comprehensive set of information to actually make these kinds of decisions where are we today where is this going Demetrius you want to take that first then we'll turn it over to uh, dr. Yu
3: um, yes yeah, I, I, Elliot, I I definitely believe that this is the biggest opportunity namely we have let me give you some examples electronic medical records genomic imaging um, even data that are not healthcare related for example um, uh, financial data, credit card information. If we somehow, in in a way that uh, uh, respects privacy, find a way to to unify all these data, we have, uh, I, I would say, our best bet to uh, to understand these diseases and see how we can treat them. Uh, I'll give you one example. In I have I have made some progress in unifying. Two of these things, for example, in, uh, in in working with Mark and his team, we have made progress in unifying uh, genomic information and electronic medical records. Uh, but at the same time, especially in stroke, you need imaging as well. So to unify it in such a way that it is useful and you can build appropriate machine learning models that take all this um, giant of information uh, is, uh, is, I would say, a very exciting opportunity that would lead to improved outcome for patients.
1: And and Dr. Alberts, as the physician in chief for the IR um, Neurosciences Institute, and your partnership with MIT, how do you take what Demetrius has just described and apply it in real time?
7: Right, that's a very good question, Elliot. What uh, Demetrius and, and my colleagues within the IR Neurosciences Institute are doing is we're working with him and his team to develop these very sophisticated algorithms and analytic tools where we can take all of these different people for example with high blood pressure and sort of sort them out. Are the blood pressures the same? Are their backgrounds the same? What is the interaction between high blood pressure in a Caucasian person versus Hispanic versus African American? What about their backgrounds? What about their genetic backgrounds? Can we meld together to, to better define for each individual patient which characteristic of their ethnic background, their medical background, their genetic background weaves together to say what the best medication is for that particular patient to reduce their risk of having a subsequent stroke? Or a heart attack. That's really the focus, the end product of a lot of this machine learning and precision medicine type of approach.
1: Yeah, excellent, Doctor Yu, as the chair of the Cancer Institute at Hartford Healthcare, this notion of unifying and harmonizing all of this disparate data—how is it coming to play in in the field of cancer? Yes,
5: yeah, so I want to uh, follow up on something that Mark said, which is that it's a very important concept. That right now in medicine, we paint with a very broad brush across patients. So. All patients with hypertension are at risk for stroke, but not all get it. In fact, most don't. And if you take in the world of cancer screening, um, we say, well, all women over the age of X, whether it's 40 or 50, should get a mammogram, or all men over the age of 50 should have a prostate uh, examination. We're treating everybody as if they're the same and as if age is the dominant factor. um, When there's so many other variables that we don't understand, family history, uh, genetics, lifestyle, smoking, uh, other diseases, the effect of cardiac disease, uh, on, heart dis- on on cancer. We know from the f- uh, Framingham study that there's a much higher risk of having cancer if you've had heart disease. So all these variables need to be understood and they're different for every patient. So that's really where it becomes personalized. Ability, the ability to analyze the, what happened to you in your life, maybe going back decades, to understand what's going to happen to you next week.
1: Well, I have to disclose my preference for Kit Kats. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. We already know that. This is big data. (laughs) We know. You know, the targeted ads as you look, I'm sure that when Elliot goes online, it'll say Kit Kats for you. For me, it says there are T-shirts that are already made and it says you're a Virginia girl in a Connecticut world. It knows. So that goes back to our earlier question as we touch on privacy. This can be very scary. We see so much information out there. How do we as an industry move this forward? and answer those privacy questions.
5: Well, I, this is Peter. I, I think one answer is we need to show value to patients about why they should share their information. You know, in the cancer world, uh, we don't see privacy as, as much of an issue. Because if, you're, if you have cancer, uh, you just want to live, you want to get better, and, and your privacy is not your number one concern. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but in other areas of medicine where uh, it, it's not as life-threatening and you worry about, is this going to impact my ability to get a job? Isn't there going to be employer discrimination, y- even though there are laws against that? you know privacy does become an issue and I think one answer is what are we delivering back to the patient and the families that's a value you know if you share your information with us what are we giving you in return if we're giving you something that's valuable it's something that you you believe is important to you then I think the privacy concerns you know which are legitimate but they don't get over magnified They don't become a barrier I guess
1: the distinction I would make Peter as a a patient going through being cared for for cancer I would agree completely once I've gotten through and I'm a survivor and I'm five years out, 10 years out, I am wondering about that data. Mm. And so I think it's it, it, you know having a, a, a broad horizon about what happens with this information. And as Rebecca said, we've just seen, and we continue to see, and we'll continue to see so many breaches of information in every industry, and they're just getting bigger and bigger. Will that be something that will get in the way of the advancement of this important work? Demetrius, how do you feel about that?
3: Uh, pri- privacy indeed uh, matters, in my view, um, and in my personal experience, um, what is important is not to know the, the the personal aspects where the person lives and so forth. We need to know a code to connect everybody. If we know that, it is, it could it could make the difference. Uh, and uh, but I do feel that uh, in in our work. We have found it. We have to work extra hard to make sure that these uh, privacy issues are appropriately uh, addressed. There are, um, you know, by uh, MIT has uh, the so-called IRBs. These are uh, uh, regulatory reviews that make sure that the privacy of individuals, are not threatened, uh, and the the bar is very high to uh, to ensure that this indeed is the case. Mm-hmm. So,
2: Dr. Stein, you created Image Connect securely sharing images across all different platforms so that god forbid you have something something happens you get an image scanned you can share that with other physicians so that you can make that diagnosis quickly accurately really from any device pretty remarkable what are your thoughts
4: I'll go back to Eddie, I think that that privacy is is front of mind in every healthcare system. I think it's uh, the responsibility of every healthcare system to make sure that we are as secure as possible. With that being said, uh, the industry um, as a whole and the healthcare informatics industry as a whole um, deems security and privacy of healthcare data uh, probably the most important thing to be working on right now. And multiple different technologies are being explored, including uh, similar technologies to cryptocurrency like blockchain and Bitcoin, to further um, secure healthcare data as it starts to move around more and more. So I'm proud at least in, 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 in Hartford Healthcare to, be, to belong to an, uh, to an enterprise that uh, takes security of our healthcare data uh, extraordinarily important. Uh, um.
1: yeah let thank you let let's switch gears a little bit um to the implication of this emerging world to education medical education training of new clinicians uh as we said when we opened the show um the the ex, it, it, it's still not here uh but the acceleration and the compounding of of new discoveries every day means it's going to be here relatively quickly in our lifetime and how how do what changes in the in the education process uh, for clinicians who will be practicing in this world on a routine basis Demetrius, you want to start
3: yep uh, being an educator all my life, uh, clearly education is very close to my heart, uh, and I spend a lot of time thinking about uh, what is the impact of all this research activity in education uh, because in the end that 's sort of the not only you would like to improve outcomes for patients, you would like to educate the people who would facilitate these outcomes, namely the physicians. And I see many opportunities. The first, first and foremost, I would introduce uh, analytics um, and perhaps uh, more specialized courses like uh, personalized medicine in the medical school curriculum. Um, furthermore, um, in, at, at the fellowship level, after the, the doctors have their first degree, uh, in medicine, I would then do it more specialized uh, in, their, let's say, for example, for uh, for, for oncologists specifics on cancer, for um, radiologists, machine learning for images, for uh, uh, neurologists, uh, um, machine learning for particular disease uh, treating uh, b- blood pressure and strokes. Uh, using personalization, it's fascinating. You
2: can see that this could change the future of education. Absolutely, and making more, making people more comfortable as they are educated. As it's all new, suddenly it isn't so scary if it comes McCreer, There'll be something else coming down the pike. All right. But what are your thoughts about that? You do so much with other education, Doctor. You
5: know, I have two sons. Uh, and a daughter and both of my sons uh, you know uh, are in one way or other studying data analytics at this point so uh, this generation gets it hmm. they right. understand that if there's one industry or one skill set that's going to probably dominate uh, a lot of the, the the labor force in the next few decades. It will be understanding data, understanding how to analyze it. Um, so one of them doesn't want to do anything with medicine, and he's in a business analytics course. Um, the other one uh, was is interested in going to medical school, fortunately. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, I think you really need to prepare yourself for data analytics. Don't go into medical school right away. Spend a couple years uh, learning that, and he's in a program. Uh, at Boston University, and and I said, why don't you send Demetrius here a, an email and see if you could give, <laughs> Audit give you that a class. hand? So he's well so he's, uh, he's benefiting from Demetrius uh, right over here. So,
1: all of you parents who are listening, uh, I also came across this uh, fact, uh, quoted out of the New York Times, Demetrius. I think I might have been on an article that that um, you were involved in uh, that computer science, Peter, to your point, is now the most popular major. At many of the Ivy League schools, as well as the pre- prestigious non-Ivy schools such as Stanford, MIT, and Tufts. I mean, so this is – the the workforce of the future is coming prepared.
2: And I can tell you as the parent of sort of smaller ones, every toy right now is computer programming. You can make your little dinosaur, create something. You make the video game. You move the creatures. It's pretty remarkable. And that's just for the little ones. You're nodding your head. Barry.
4: Yeah, so uh... – this is quite pervasive already in other sectors, like finance, sports, yes. marketing. Analytics is, and marketing, and so many of that skills, those skill sets, and algorithms can be applied to healthcare.
1: So, Dr. Alberts, your perspective from a neuroscience background?
7: Yeah, I, I, I agree everything that my colleagues have said. I do think one of the challenges going forward is that medical school, as it's currently designed, is, is four years, and the amount of knowledge we have to in part uh, 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 among our students in that four years is increasingly growing. And I, I think the analytics is obviously crucially important. And I hope some of the students become better prepared for that. But as the body of knowledge is growing, it's sort of like dividing a pie. You know, the pie is a certain size, you can only divide it so many ways. I mean, we may have to look at novel ways of giving our, our students and interns, residents and fellows the tools that are needed to really operationalize and understand this wealth of data that's coming their way. But at the end of the day, I think it's going to be good for them, and it's even going to be better for our patients.
1: So as all of this emerges and looking forward, uh, I have a couple of questions. I, I was having dinner uh, a couple of evenings ago with a, a private equity guy who was involved with some of the really big data shops around the country. and he was describing to me this, what I would call hypothesis, I think he would call more than that, that lifespan is gonna be, you know, we're gonna live to be 150 years old uh, pretty soon. Um, I had a little trouble digesting all that, wow. but I do wonder how all of this artificial intelligence, all this information, all this precision medicine will affect lifespan. And the second question, will it be, will, my, will the physician of the future be Alexa? Um, w- w- what, what does it look like looking down the road? I don't, who wants to take take those?
2: Ooh, Dr. Alexa, paging Dr. Alexa. <laughs> uh,
1: Demetrius? I,
3: I'll, I'll take a crack. So um, I also expect that um, with improved uh, analysis and prescriptions, uh, lifespan will will increase. I do expect that. Whether it will become that high, 150, I cannot say, of course, but I definitely believe it. Uh, in terms of uh, the role of computers, in in all of this, I I view it uh, at at least what I foresee is that I see the the computer algorithms as a helper as a as a consultant to the physician, um, and the reason for that is there are elements when you have a dis- I'm not a, a medical doctor but uh, I've been of course uh, in seeing my personal physician we have a discussion and uh, understanding emotion understanding strength of belief understanding. Um, that happens between two humans, I don't believe we are even close to to replicating in a machine-human interaction. So I actually feel that humans should play their strengths and machines should play their strengths, and the strength I believe that humans have is intuition and uh, understanding other humans better and utilizing aspects of the knowledge helped by... um, computers that are capable of processing v- much, much vaster amounts of information in ways that are different from humans. And I think this combination of machine and human intelligence is uh, is indeed the future. I love so,
1: that. Dr. Stein, is an interventional radiologist and, and thinking about radiology as a specialty, do you feel similarly to Demetrius or do you see it a little differently?
4: No, I actually see it uh, very similarly. In, in the field of radiology, artificial intelligence is... Uh, very important, and we're looking at how uh, to integrate it into the workflow to augment um, uh, diagnoses uh, and to make sure that our diagnoses are more accurate based on uh, predictive and uh, prescriptive analytics.
2: But I love this art. I love that, Demetrius, here's the world expert of analytics, who says there is an art of humanity too, and you need that combination. I think that's really telling coming from you. Dr. Yu.
5: You know, I I think what we're trying to do is, is do is build systems that experts will use, and not building expert systems that will replace the the doctor. Keep I think that's me. the important thing, mm-hmm. and there are many reasons why that that might be so. But I, I think the most important is that at the end of the day, there's a discussion that has to happen between two humans, the patient and the physician, and that's that's an ancient uh, trust uh, relationship that I don't see ever going away. Uh, Because in the context of a person's cultural and uh, value system, uh, their religious systems, their goals for life, um, that can only be teased out by discussing that with the patient one-on-one. And a computer system will help you uh, make the right decision in that context, but but that personal discussion is not something a computer is designed to do.
1: That's well said. Uh, Dr. Alberts, your perspective?
7: Yeah, I agree with having to keep the humanity and the personal aspects of it, because at the end of the day, we end up treating one patient at a time. Having said that, we're, we're further down the road than I think a lot of your listeners may, may fully understand or appreciate with the electronic medical records. For example, if we admit the patient to the hospital with a certain disease, the computer responds to that, and the computer says, hey, have you considered this or that? Have you done this treatment or that treatment? Or by the way, don't use this medication because of another medication that is already on board. So we are advancing medical care patient by patient, day by day, week by week, and we are becoming more integrated with our our computers and the analytics and the medical systems than a lot of folks may realize. But at the end of the day, all of the studies are showing that this leads to better outcomes for our patients. Fewer medical errors, fewer drug interactions, Fewer preventable complications. Excellent so point,
2: Dr. Dr. Mark Alberts, who is our physician in chief of the Iron Neuroscience Institute. We are so thankful to all of our amazing guests who have been with us either in person or on the phone this morning.
1: Absolutely, this has been a great conversation, and it speaks to the excitement of healthcare, the transformation of of the healthcare um, capability inside our, our industry uh, that is. Just barely outside our grasp, but as uh, Dr. Albert just said, is, is starting to come home, and we're really excited about what 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 lies ahead of us.
2: We are transforming care, and this has been Healthcare Matters. Thank you.
1: This has been
0: Healthcare Matters, sponsored by Hartford HealthCare. Tune in next month as we continue to discuss the status of healthcare, determine what works and what doesn't, and work to bridge the gap. Healthcare Matters on WTIC News Talk 1080 and. W- WTIC.com